It's the end of the 90 days. How would you like to feel? What would you like to have achieved? And starting to explore that period, breaking it up into sections, if you like, around I've got to spend the first bit perhaps working with my boss, getting a feel for what they're looking for from me. What are my KPIs? KPIs are not the only thing. You've got to fit in an organisation in a whole lot of ways. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. The first 90 days into a new job are crucial, especially if you are a professional working in the corporate, nonprofit, or public sectors. There are books written about it and extensive research showing that the way you start sets the tone for the rest of your tenure in an organization. Changing perceptions later can be done, of course, but it's more challenging. So why not plan ahead and be strategic about the initial onboarding? I am rebroadcasting some of the best episodes of 2020 while I take a break from my weekly podcasting to recharge during the Australian summer. In this episode from February 2020, my friend and consultant, coach and coach trainer, Sue Zablid, joined me to discuss one of our favorite topics. Sue also delivers an important masterclass in my group coaching program, The Job Hunting Made Simple. At first, I thought maybe adding Sue's additional masterclass about the first 90 days and how to successfully onboard into a new job was a bit of an overkill, and that seven weeks, the length of the coaching program, wasn't long enough to prep professionals for both job hunting and successfully onboarding. I love that I was so wrong, and stubbornly, I included Sue and her masterclass, and it was a great success. The combination of the coaching and the group work really boosts results for the professionals that are registered for this program. And Sue's masterclass was really important last year when most of the group participants had already found a new job even before the seven weeks were over. And I'm talking about great jobs, project management, head of sales, procurement manager, events management, CFOs, general managers, deputy CEOs, and so on. It's really amazing. I was really impressed with the results, if I'm honest. I did not expect things to go so well for my clients in the group coaching program. I'm so pleased for them. If you are interested to learn more about my coaching, why not join me for my upcoming free job hunting masterclass that's happening on the 1st and on the 2nd of February. I have different times for different time zones. I will have the links for you to register in the podcast show notes below, or you can go to my website, renatabernardi.com, or you can go to any of my social media platforms to find out more details about the Job Hunting Masterclass. It's free, and I look forward to seeing you there. It will be big, it will be fun, and most importantly, I promise it will be packed with coaching advice about job hunting that you will not find anywhere else. That's always my promise to you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sue Zablid, which we recorded, as I said, 
um, in February last year, just prior to the launch of the Job Hunting Made Simple program that ran in February last year. Susablud and I have been friends since 2008. When I started my role as the manager of the Student Development and MBA Career Manager at Monash University, I inherited this amazing set of documents and guidelines that made my job so much easier. I had a great blueprint to start with, and Sue's name was all over it. So I reached out and introduced myself to her. You see, Monash University had demerged from the Mountainlizer Business School, and Sue Zablud had left with the Mountainlizer team, which then merged with the Melbourne University, and I had taken over some of her responsibilities at Monash. We have been close ever since. I've done Sue's coaching training, and she has mentored me all of these years. Sue was the person who introduced me to the concept of paying close attention to the first 90 days on the job, and I cannot thank her enough for introducing introducing me to the book with the same name by Michael D. Watkins. About Sue Zablud, Sue is an experienced non-executive director, human resources professional, internationally accredited executive coach, mentor, and facilitator. She currently leads the Human Asset Development Group, consultancy focused on the design and delivery of leadership development, executive education, board governance, strategy, mentoring, coaching, and career management solutions. Her focus is on engaging and empowering individuals and groups across industry, not-for-profit, the professions, education, and government. Sue is responsible for growing her consultancy into a highly respected international human resources consultancy and has grown her own portfolio of appointments to include board positions in the public and private sectors. She has successfully served on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne, served as the board chair of the Royal Women's Hospital Foundation, and as an executive director of private companies. She has a BCom and MBA, is a professional certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, is a fellow of the Australian HR Institute, and a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Okay, so why is the first 90 days so important when you start a new role? Sue and I start talking about her career first, then we move to providing advice for professionals currently in between roles, specifically those who are having to move sectors. And this leads us to talking about preparing to tackle a new environment, a new job, and how to be successful at it. The first 90 days is a great framework to follow for that purpose. Let's listen. I think you're going to enjoy the discussion. There you go. It's nice to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you. <laughs> I like your background. Yeah, it's the view from my balcony. Did you take a picture? Yeah. And then you use it as a background. That's and my cool. clients love it. Yeah, it's lovely. Very mm. nice. How are and you? I'm good. I'm sort of, you know, it's a very miserable day. Horrible. Yeah. And you you got a, a nice little headset. Yes, I went to, we went to Officeworks uh-huh. and it's an Apple, they recommended the Apple. Excellent. And it's, my brother tested it with me and he's now gone to buy one. Oh, good. Because <laughs> he yeah. does lots of Zoom meetings. I think it made him understand how different it could be. Yes, it makes a difference. But you know what? The most important thing is the content. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I've got it right. I've done a bit of prep. So yeah. hopefully talking about my career is a really interesting one, but there you go. Well, let's, let's start with that. Okay. Just tell me about your career, Sue. Tell me as if I didn't know. And you know what? The funny thing is we've known each other for so long, but I bet you there's a lot I don't know. 
about you. So I'm curious. Tell me about your career. So my career started in the 1970s when um, it was very unusual for a woman to enter the business world. I was the only girl from my year at school to go into a commerce degree. And after finishing my degree, the big thing was, how do I find a job now? I was very lucky to be recruited into the well, my department stores, I think we'd probably call it now, as the f- first woman in their internal audit department. And I was a woman with two other guys and we had a lot of fun. And I thoroughly enjoyed being in retail in a role that was professional rather than just sitting on the floor selling. So that was a big shift for the organization. And um, I I realized how big it was when I got in there. I had fun, but there was a crisis in our family business. And my father said, well, you've done a business degree, come and fix it. So I went and fixed it. And for 17 years, I stayed and did marketing research, got involved in industry, textile and clothing industry, and got involved in um, establishing uh, the flammability standard for children's nightwear, which I I see as a big tick um, in terms of making sure kids are safe in the clothes they wear to bed. So that was important. From there, um, the business was sold, thankfully, if you want to know on my behalf. Um, I was thrilled. Ha, I'm no longer locked in. And I went off to do an MBA with the dream that I was going to be an accountant. That was what, you know, I could see the opportunity and that would be the way I would go. Mm-hmm. And through the Monash MBA, I could do an accounting stream to qualify as a CPA. Mm-hmm. So off I went. But to my surprise, I, I minded all right in the accounting subjects, but I excelled in the strategy and the people subjects, human resource management, which was just really starting to happen. It used to be called personnel management. And suddenly I found my area of passion and I had a a really enjoyed and I still keep the connections. As part of that, I also entered into the career management area without even knowing it by being president of the uh, MBA Alumni Association and introducing or being part of the team that introduced mentoring to alumni at Monash. Now, mentoring, again, was a very, un- it was a f- used to happen, but it was never a process that had a structure or a, or, a, or a formality to it and accountability for both the mentor and the mentee. So that was a really interesting place to go. In terms of that, in 1990s, the recession hit. Um, as we're saying now, as we're having the first one since then, it was a big recession. Lots of people were laid off, particularly professionals, airline pilots, defence personnel. And the idea of getting prepared for a job and doing a job search was something very new. And I got involved in that industry. And as my clients won jobs, and they did, then they would call me in and go, well, okay, you've done the job search piece. Now, can you help us? I need to recruit people or I need to set up some HR policy. I was very honoured to be the recruiter for the first internet development team at Yellow Pages, um, which was a search engine which we, we now know has died definitely died, (laughs) as these (laughs) things can do. And the person who hired me understood that what they needed were people who had science skills, who could think analytically and be very scientific and technical, but they also needed to have humanities skills. So particularly people who'd done philosophy or psychology. So it was a really interesting time. And again, being at the forefront of of, uh, IT at that time and the internet was really amazing. And in the MBA, I actually got introduced to to computers, which also that was only just sort of starting to become part of what we did on an everyday basis. 
I think, Sue, that I will link below in the show notes the episode we have with Jeff Slade from the Slade Group, a recruitment uh, yeah. company here in, in Melbourne. What you're saying is that you were part of this first transition when professionals had to take control over their careers because their careers wouldn't be taken care of by their employers anymore. That's so right. There was a we time were there- in the 90s where that switch happened, where you know we got into jobs when we would expect that uh, we would be in that organization forever. And then in the 90s, uh, we learned, no, no, this is not going to happen anymore. And now it's up to you to plan your career and plan your advancement if that's what you want to do and take control over your destiny as a professional. Would you agree? Yes, I think what it was, we learned that we didn't have jobs for life, that our companies were not there to sort of look after us forever. Um, that we needed to take responsibility and also we needed to learn new skills on how to do that. And that's how the career management area took off. It took a while for it to be called career management, but it, 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 that's really where it was born. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of that generation, then we've come to know that even now it's not unusual to have more than five or six or seven jobs in your career, maybe yes. more, maybe some current at the same time, even two jobs at once. That wasn't heard of in those days. Well, you seem to have had quite a varied career. What do you think were the key strengths that took you from one career to another, from job to job? Well, I think it was, you know, we've talked about in the first two phases of my career, the next phase was very much around me going in as an executive into a postgraduate education provider, which was Monash Mount Eliza Business School and then Mount Eliza Business School. And in doing that, what were the, they drew on, they started to understand that if they wanted their graduates to get jobs, they needed to have someone inside on the executive helping those people to do it. I just started to look at, you know, the strengths of my, my students. What, what were my MBA students' skills? And that led me to a tool called Strengths Finder, which is published by Gallup. And it's still around and I still use it. And because I didn't really know, I was trying to think about, well, if I asked a student, what are your strengths? They'd sort of look at me blankly. What do you mean? And we could do a bit of a coaching thing to get them there. But what I did was say, well, let's let's do this tool. And in my case, uh, my top five were around strategy, which I, I sort of went, oh, okay, what strategy? So being able to see connections, being able to be analytical, to look at issues and break them down, see the big picture. So that's one. The second one was very much around communication. And in my case, I'm, I, I can write reasonably well, but I'm particularly good at the verbal and the presenting piece. Being at Mount Eliza Business School, I learned how to facilitate workshops. I watched people to facilitate workshops. I had in, in the moment training to do that and I drew on the strengths that I had in communication. I was also good at what they call input, which is really about being continually learning. So for even for, for our session today, I started to look at, well, what could I, what's something I've read in the last little while that could add some value here? So that's to me, if I run something, it's never quite the same because it needs to be fresh, it needs to be different. And then one of the, the next one that I suppose is a linchpin to my coaching is empathy, and that con- which is a key element of emotional intelligence. So my strength there is I can put myself in the shoes of my client or my coachee, and I can be a little bit ahead of them in terms of helping them to see where their path is, but not telling them what it is. So really asking, not telling. Yes. So they're the, the, the combination of strengths that make me. Well, let's, let's use that empathy 
empathy and that connection, that great connection that you have with professionals, Sue. And tell me, what do you think would be your key advice for those professionals that are currently in transition and looking for work? It's been a tough year. This podcast is listened in over 50 countries, but mainly in Australia and the US. We are almost in in different gears, aren't we? Uh, in, In different countries going through different periods of this pandemic. But if you can summarize what you think could be your advice for professionals that are looking for work, what would it be? I think the first thing you need to be doing is taking a good look at yourself, understanding who you are and what you offer. And to the point of understanding what are your transferable skills, even though different sectors require some different expertise, the key things around communication, analytical skills, people skills, those sort of things, what are the ones that you've got that are highly transferable, write them down, include them in your job search materials, whether it be an interview, in your resume, in your profile. So so start to get an understanding of you. And then I think now, and I, I must say, I've been looking at some of the government work that's being done here. They're trying really hard to support people in this space. We could talk about health is obviously a one that's very high up at the minute. Logistics and supply chain would be another one. So how do I find out about these industries? Well, one of the best ways is to talk to people and to network and hopefully draw on your network. So if you're a professional who's come out of a university program, should have an alumni, tap into that alumni. Um, make, I mean, I think now people are much more receptive to helping because they understand the challenges that are there. And I'd also you know, use the internet, do some really good research, start to understand what turns your button on for what you want to do. And then I suppose the big challenge is today, given that a lot of us are working from home, you can't sort of go and have a meeting for coffee or whatever. You can do a Zoom coffee or whatever. But I'd be thinking about what if I find an industry, I say health, and I want to go into health, and I've been in administration, but I want to go into health administration or health health management. What do I need? What knowledge do I need? And that's where I'd start to look on. Um, I've noticed that there's a government website called course seeker. And on that website, you can put in, I want to be in the health sector. You can even put you know, the particular area and see what sort of short courses are available. Now, I know there's a resistance and I had it through my career working with students, but I've got a qualification. Why do I need something else? But to me, given that the moment it's very hard to do an internship or go and get some exp- the magic word called experience, how do you get the skills that you need? And I would suggest that would be the way. Go and look at maybe there's some work being done around how to manage the COVID um, outputs, how to look at what's changed in health from COVID perspective. What have you got to offer to that particular area? You know, logistics and supply chain, it's really about going and having, is there a micro course on that that I could just, even if it's just a two-month program, you get a feel and you know the language. Because the other thing is you get to interview, you need to be able to speak in the language of the sector you're going into. Yes. I think that that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? And some people can pinpoint the problem, but they can't pinpoint the solution. And what you're giving is a couple of solutions there. Because when you're changing sectors, let's say you've been in hospitality or high education or uh, tourism, and you're Mm -hmm. trying to change to, let's say what you said before, logistics or uh, government or health, there is a, a, a change in jargon or narrative in the way to describe things that have to happen in the way that you present yourself and your res- 
resume and cover letter and even in your LinkedIn profile. Mm. So that transferable skills needs to be also aligned with the transfer the transfer of a the way of communicating. Would you agree? Yes, and I think it's also about so seeking out supporters. So again, um, find a mentor in a particular, go look at your professional association or the professional association that you want, the industry you want to join and see if it's a possibility for you to get a mentor or to find through your support network, through the people who you've done. A lot of you, if you've done a business course, there's a broad range of people who've been involved. How do you tap into them? How do you have conversations to build your skills in that space? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the it's not easy to shift sectors, but if I can tell you, there are different triggers. At the moment, the trigger is I've been made redundant or yes. my sector is not hiring what I thought they would do. They've gone to a different way. In my case, my kids went overseas. That gave made me actually take myself up off my backside and go, okay, what do I need to do to see them? How do I have a work life and, and, and see my children? And I ended up working in America at, at doing conferences and going, running a mentoring program in Canada. So it's about, and how did the door open? The door opened by me going and saying, who is it that knows someone in Canada who would be able to refer me? And having the conversation, not saying to them, I want you to, to do it for me, just that connection. So I think it's about being confident and, and being able to, to take that step. It's hard, but if you have supporters or a coach um, who can be there for you, so when you've done something and you say, I don't know if that worked as well as I wanted it to, you can go and unpack it with someone like you or me and suddenly go, oh, I didn't do so badly after all. So what could I do differently next time? I think that's a great idea. And, and just to give a, a business a business case example of what that would look like is, mm -hmm. I mean, ideally you would do that with time, thinking a little bit more long-term. And I know some people are very anxious about getting a job tomorrow, but to use this opportunity to catch up with people, to learn and to understand how you can actually transfer your skills is important. I had a conversation early last year, so that's 2020, with an individual who had been made redundant from an airline, um, as many have, mm -hmm. uh, from an, an admin role, so a management role, managing teams, large teams, and especially managing teams that were delivering the um catering across several countries, across several aircrafts, with several suppliers, having to maintain the quality and the consistency and the branding of that airline across the globe. In Australia, as you know, we have a very big demand in the health and aging sector, NDIS providers that are very keen on this whole idea of delivering mm. um, high quality services across the board, you know, in a very pulverized way with um, service providers representing the brand of the service provision you know, in a large sort of geographical area. And I said, have you considered this? And he's like, no, I haven't. <laughs> until you talk to somebody, I'm not even from that sector, but until you talk to somebody about the sector, you cannot find those commonalities to then identify the transferability of your experience. It's not just the skills, but the experience. So having those conversations, and if you can take notes, um, I, I'm now trying to connect with HR managers to um, create a special service provision for 
organization. So every time I talk to them, I, I take notes because I want to use the same language that they're talking Absolutely. to me. And then so that when I'm then selling my product in the future, it's not ready yet. It's, you know, something that's under development. I want to use that language. So I take lots and lots of notes. So if you can use these ideas as, you know, listeners listening to this podcast, that's what Sue and I are trying to convey here is, is have those conversations, find people in the sector. And then when you finish a conversation with uh, someone, Sue, you can say, do you know somebody else I can talk to? It's a perfect way to get the next step in the in the journey. I think you'll find there's people, authentic people, are very keen to help you. As long as you need to stay a little humble, I think you need to be careful about how you present yourself. But if you're humble and you're open, and I think there's another piece to think about here. So you're going to be doing a whole lot of work around looking at what your skills are. I think the other piece you need to look at is what are your values and what sort of culture and what sort of organization brings out the best in you. So as you said before, don't just take the first thing that rolls up along the, the aisle because it could be a disaster. Yeah. So, I mean, I think start to think about, well, what's a good climate for me? I work better in an organization where I've got lots of autonomy or I work better in an organization where I'm part of a team and there's a bit of competition and that gives me energy, really start to think about that and think about when you're having a conversation, not necessarily with a recruiter, but when you get to the stage of talking to the person you're going to be reporting to, have some questions up your sleeve around, well, what, what, what do you see as a good, a good environment to work in? How, does, how, do you, how, does, how is performance management managed? How do you, what's involved in how often do you meet with everybody? Those sort of questions because the values will make a difference about how you stay in that organization and it should also be the really there as you're considering a role don't just take a role because it sounds okay have a have a bit of a piece of paper that sort of starts to do pros and cons and be pros mean this is for me taking the role this is the challenge of this is why I shouldn't take the role and there should be a lot more on the for as against the against and I think that's key that's that's very good Sue. thank you for that and that kind of leads us into the topic of our conversation today which is the first 90 days now I don't know if you know this but you were the first First person to talk to me about the first 90 days. Oh, I didn't you know were, that. So we've known each other for a while. In my introduction, I will explain how we met. But I believe I was about to start a new role. I think it was my role at the Institute of Chartered Accountants. And you said, yes. you know, have you have you read of, heard about this book? And I'm like, no. And you sent me a link and you sent me an article to read. And I was obsessed I, just, you know, you gave me a framework to use forever. And then I used, of course, for myself every time I changed jobs, but of course, for clients as well. It is a great concept. And I'd like you to explain and tell us why it's so important. Well, I think Michael Watkins from Harvard University wrote this book, The First 90 Days, a long time ago now. It still resonates. It's very much about thinking about when you're in a role how do you make sure you stay there for the long term? And it's how you start will be how you finish in lots of ways. But he put it down. He gave us a blueprint. I won't go through the whole blueprint today, but the blueprint is very much around um, thinking about 
what is the impression you want to make? What are the, and I can go through some, some of the questions that I would suggest you ask as you go through this. But what happened as a result of Michael's book, the recruiters and organisations started to look at making transitions are not easy. Just because you were great in your last role does not mean you're going to be great in your new role. And how do you set yourself up for success? And the word started to come around to this concept of onboarding. Now, onboarding is really about you coming on board an organisation and the onboarding is successful. The word inherently says that if you're onboarded well, you will be successful. And so I was hired uh, many moons ago to help recruiters. They get a, a really strong candidate. They'd have them ready. Sometimes they were from overseas. Actually, a number of them were from overseas. So there was a cultural change and an organisational change. Um, and working with them to for what they we called a 90-day period or a three-month period, if you like. The 90 days came out of Michael's work. Um, and it, the other thing that's happened concurrently with that is the concept of probation period. So now when you take a role, you're not going to keep it forever because you may only last, if it's a three-month process or a 90-day one, you may have at the end of that a performance review that may well end up in you not being there anymore. Or, I mean, I'm hearing now, what I'm hearing on the on from my clients is this has been pushed out to even six months, which is a long time. So to give up a permanent role and go into a new role that has a probation period, you want as much insurance for you as you can get. Um, and that's where the onboarding comes from. And what I what I do with working with those clients is about, well, what is it? What it's the end of the end of the 90 days. How would you like to feel? What would you like to have achieved? And starting to explore that period, breaking it up into sections, if you like, around I've got to spend the first bit perhaps working with my boss, getting a feel for what they're looking for from me. What are my KPIs? KPIs are not the only thing. You've got to fit in an organisation in a whole lot of ways. You've got to get on with your team. You've got to feel comfortable with, you've got to be accepted by the client. You've got to win respect of your peers. There's a whole lot to do. And I think that this concept of getting ready and having a plan. So it's not just about when you start, but it's about some work you do. Often I will start with this the month before they go into a new role. Now you can do that with me as a coach and, and I and it's a great experience and it's not it's not a cheap exercise for executives, for instance. But you can do it with a in a career coaching space around doing some work, using some tools to understand what are you going to have to do differently? Yes. What are the skills that you need to apply? But what are the things you should stop doing? So there's some big questions. Yes. And I, I invited you to come on board and, and do a masterclass for the Job mm -hmm. Hunting Made Simple program because I think never has the 90 days become more important for professionals that potentially have been out of work for a year yeah. and not just any year, a year where business models have really pivoted, have really completely changed. The priorities that we had back in 2019 for many sectors potentially changed 180 degrees to a completely different business model, priorities, set of KPIs that were unexpected. And also the workplace and the environment and what it takes now to lead teams and projects, working from home, the tyranny of distance, um, a new set of protocols and, um, you know, written and unwritten rules, all of that will become also part of preparing for that first 90 days. And even if you don't have a job, it's important to start thinking about it before 
you start and you know, as you said, it's the first 90 days doesn't start one on the first day of work. It has always been, you know, as Michael mentioned in the book, and you've also been coaching something that you start doing beforehand. But I think more now than ever, you really should start beforehand, right? And this yes, whole absolutely. idea that we've been talking before about having these conversations, talking to people, understanding how different sectors operate is also part of that first 90 days. Absolutely. And I think as much as Michael didn't realize what he'd unleashed, I don't think, but it's become quite one. It's been a lovely framework for me to use with my clients and I see that it empowers people. So it's, it's, it's great. Have you found that, I mean, you mentioned that some of the probations are now longer, they're uh, up to six months long. Have you found that the 90 days tend to stick for most sectors and professionals or do you envision it become longer? What's your experience coaching clients that have gone into new jobs? Does the 90 days seem to be a good average? I think so. If you haven't made it by 90 days, you haven't won them over. It's, it's not going to work. You may last to the six months, but it won't be a happy lasting. So I think you've got to make, it's about that good first impression. But it gives you, what the six months gives you is a bit, it's actually more for the employer, I think, than you. It gives them a better um, indicator. It also gives them, they've got more flexibility. They can say goodbye to you very easily if you're in the probation period. They can't do that so easily once you're a permanent member of staff. So be conscious of that, but make the most of it. If you have got six months, um, think about what are you going to be, what are you, what are you going to set at the three months? So you're going to have a meeting, you'll usually still have a meeting at three months. And at that meeting, what? how do you set yourself up in the next three months? And this will be part of your career career forever, really. Performance management has changed considerably. It's not no longer going to be that sort of, I want you to do this and you're going to do that. It's very much a collaboration. And the work David Rock's been doing with the brain and coaching and so in his Neuroleadership Institute is talking about how coaching, how you're going to be asking someone what they would like to do and how they would like to be rather than saying, well, I want you to do this or that. Okay. Perform in this particular way. So as we start wrapping up, when you think about what the most important critical goals a professional should aim for to achieve at the end of that first 90 days then, what would it be? What would be like the top two or three goals to work towards? I think it's to have achieved an outcome that they promised and to have done it well and to have done it in a way that that looks good for them and for the organisation. I think that's paramount, um, that they had built good relationship and that I think this concept we use it now of managing up. It's not just about managing out to the client but or to the customer. I think it's probably a better word for that. But it's about managing up really well so that your boss, I mean, the word boss is a bit archaic now, but to, the, to the, your person you report to, that you demonstrate that you're a good member of the team, that you're doing what was expected, in fact, more than expected. But also remember that you need to manage across. So you need to be able to win your peers. You know, you, you may be in a competitive environment, but how do you stay in a professional, authentic way with your peers and your direct reports? It's important. This is an excellent way to finish this conversation, Sue. Thank you so much. I can't wait for us to run the masterclass for the Job Hunting Made Simple program. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Lucky clients that will get to engage with you in the masterclass and learn more and learn all the techniques and the advice that you're going to share.